Hi, I'm Brent Fawn and welcome to the Sabbatical Summit podcast, where I bring you a series of live candid interviews with accomplished cruisers and marine industry experts to help you go cruising on your own boat sooner. The Sabbatical Summit podcast is brought to you by MultiHealth Central, a multi-health specialist brokerage dedicated to those who choose to cruise smoother, smarter, sooner. In episode 16, we interview Hugh Hodgkinson, who is an accomplished sailor in his own right, but has also chaired successful cruising syndicate on a 45-foot cruising catamaran that ventured up and down the east coast of Australia and around the South Pacific. Now Hugh is helping establish a new syndicate on a Seawind 1190 Sport, and we get to know all about how he's going to run this now so uh welcome hugh uh, really great to have you on board you, you can you hear us okay yes good morning brent i can hear you well fantastic fantastic well uh thanks for joining us and um lovely day here in sydney so i uh, hope you get a chance to get on the water this weekend before we get into the topic i always ask and i think it's always a interesting uh, point of view to work out uh where we've been and, and where we're going um where did you get into where did you get into boats you know what was your first entry into sailing uh we were fortunate that we had a a a beachfront holiday house down near batemans bay and i got into uh, a rowing dinghy a 10-foot plywood dinghy when i was about seven and rode that around Um, we put a mast in that when i was about 11 but my first real sailing boat was, um, you know, overgrown. No, I can't think of the name of it. But from there, I went to my own Northbridge Senior when I was about 16. And uh, from there, trailer sailors. And as I got older and um, more stupid and wealthier, I uh, just progressed up the scale through monohulls and had um, 18 foot trimaran a um, 45-foot syndicated cat, a beautiful lightwave grande, and we're now looking at uh, going into an 1190 sport. So, but you haven't always been syndicate um, focused. You've you've had your own boats and and have you know, various experiences. I think you've, you've done some Sydney Hobarts even as well. Well, that's that's true. Um, most of my sailing has, in fact, serious sailing has been in syndicated boats. Right. Um, I made a list just before the seminar started, and um, I find I've had eight syndicates, eight, wow. since, okay. since I was about 25. Um, most of them were two people. Uh, often it was the same two people. Uh, we had one with three, and we've had two with four people in it. The Hobart boat, um, which sounds a bit strange these days, but a Model 33, uh, she was four, and uh, we raced for three years fairly seriously long offshore in her uh, with the Royal Prince Alfred up at Newport. Right, right. So why have you been naturally drawn into syndicate partnerships? You know, you said eight boats now. Uh, I've got I've got too many expensive hobbies, I think. <laughs> and um, this is a really good way of getting into something that was bigger, more luxurious, faster, earlier than would otherwise be the case with the normal, you know, progression through life. 
So it allows you to uh, tic-tac-toe across a few different interests rather than being all in on, on one. Absolutely, yeah. The, the only time I really got heavily involved in uh, sailing to the exclusion of everything else was the long offshore racing. Um, for example, preparing for the Hobart, and we did that twice in, in Felice. Uh, it was taking me an hour a day for six months beforehand, each race, uh, to prepare the boat, get the crew, get it all sorted out. That was a fairly intensive effort, and uh, I don't regret it for one minute. We did we did quite well for what the boat was. But uh, after that, um, I now am happy to share the boat with other people, whatever the boat is, and it's worked out really well. And the the previous syndicate, so um, I remember seeing the light wave. You, you come into Sydney there and had a good look at it, and um, and I think you were wrapping it up uh, not long after that, perhaps. But you, you'd done quite a few miles on that boat, right? There wasn't just uh, East Coast Australia. You, you got out to some of the Pacific Islands, is that right? We, we got as far as um, Vanuatu. Um, I'd already been there twice, once uh, in another boat and as a crew and once in an, my other boat. But... Um, the, the Pacific is fantastic. There's, you, you really have to slow down, take stock of where you're going in life and enjoy yourself, have fun. That's really the, the essence of going into the, the Pacific. Um, we, we experienced a little bit of drama um, in the light wave, actually, not the light wave's fault, but we were just about to get into Lord Howe Lagoon one evening on dusk and uh, the harbour master who's well known, Clive, said, no, I'm not going to let you in. It's blowing 30 knots in this narrow, narrow coral infested anchorage. Uh, just hold, hold your horses, stay offshore. Well, we did, but the wind built and built and built. And um, my wife, who was on sole watch that night, we'd pulled all the sails off it. She came down at half past 11 at night and said, I'm seeing 55 knots on the uh, indicator. Uh, I went up and we, we, it's interesting actually, we managed to put that boat into a hove two situation by running the lured engine at half a head or not even that, about 1200 revs and set the Raymarine sailing instrument to have the wind 15 degrees on the port bow. So the boat was being blown off the wind. The rudders were hard over, trying to keep the boat up mm. and the propeller was keeping it there and it was stable. It stayed there for five hours during that wow. time. So this is hove two with, with bare poles? Bare poles. Yeah, yeah. right. Wow. And everything strapped down. It was quite hairy actually that we lost the dinghy. The dinghy got swept away. Oh, you're kidding, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like a common theme. I'm getting off subject here a little bit, but it, the the hove two position on some of these cruising cats seems to be quite a common theme in in strong winds, um, in in ugly conditions. From a few people I've interviewed, so I know the sea winds uh, hold a hove two position very well, and um, it seems to be the easiest thing to go to when it all hits the fan. <laughs> Well, I hope I don't have to go there again. I can tell you whether it be on a sea wind. I went, I went off watching that four and 
went down to the cabin where Lee, my wife, was trying to sleep and she used the S word, which was, are we going to survive? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really not too bad. At but you clearly did. Yeah. <laughs> and I did hear her in the background there before too, so she she survived too, which is uh, you're here to tell the tale. Um, and 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 without spending too much time on it, I, I, Lord Howe, uh, you you did eventually get in. I take it. Yeah, we went in the next morning. Um, we we had to do a little bit of repair to our rigging. Uh, we only stayed that day and then left in the evening and went on to New Caledonia. Right. So that was a syndicate expedition. We had um, three of the males and two wives with us of a four-person, four-couple syndicate with us, and um, they all kept kept sailing with me, which I says success. And and so, what uh, different partners would fly into different locations and and take over? Yeah. The and the the sea wind. Sorry, the the uh, light wave was rather out of the ordinary in the sense that when we put it together, there was an agreement from the beginning that it would not have a home port, that we would try and plan a year in advance, give every syndicate member a decent go of a four weeks or three weeks, I can't really remember. And by arrangement, a year in advance, we would know where the boat would roughly end up and the next couple would fly in, the couple would get off, the first couple would get off and the boat would go on. Now that was tough on the boat because it was used pretty well 50 weeks a year. Mm. And uh, the maintenance costs in fact ended up reflecting that. Mm. Um, but it, it did work, uh, no one wanted to change it. And we saw an awful lot of not only the Pacific but right up to um, Bly's Passage, north of, uh, fit, uh, Cooktown. And we did a circumnavigation of Tasmania, for example, cross Bass Strait into Melbourne, where one of the syndicate members came from. And uh, we, saw, we saw a lot of the coast. Excellent, excellent. And so how long did that syndicate run for? It was five years, a year of building and four years of operation. Right, right. And and what do you think the, the key elements are to keep a well-managed syndicate going? <laughs> um, with, it depends on how many people are in it. Uh, my, my preference, frankly, is two people, two couples. Mm -hmm. um, three is fine. Uh, four, you, you seem to usually get an odd man out somehow whether it be time availability or uh, a funding issue or a lack of chemistry. Um, I would shy away from four. Three is good number, two's the optimum. Four, uh, in my present situation, um, we are going to three because it makes it the funding easier, quite frankly, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, was the other, what was the second half of the question? Well, just the key elements, I guess, that, that make them work. I mean, uh, you know, you said, um, you know, in that last example, it's going all over the place. That must require a bit of planning around your time allocations, for example. Um, how do you manage 
And I guess for the syndicate putting together now, I mean, how do you envisage time management to be to be planned? Um, going back to how I've found things in the past, irrespective of what you plan at the beginning, it, it always seems to be the case that enthusiasm wanes a little bit. It's a bit like getting a new car, you know, to start with, you wash it every week, but then things slide a bit and perhaps you don't use it so much. And it's the same with, with sailing in a new boat. I, um, I've found that you might agree to a week on, a week off arrangement or two weeks or one weekend. For example, in retirement, I don't necessarily need it on the, the weekend. I'm happy to sail weekdays. But be that as it may, towards the end of the first year, it's very common to, if you feel like a sailor, you ring up the booking secretary or your mate, whoever it is, and say, if you're like a sailor today, do you want to come? Or do you mind if I take it out? It's not my turn. And nine times out of 10, you'll be on the water that afternoon. Mm. It, it, you can't be too definitive, although it certainly helps to have a base rule that everybody understands. So if you have three members, for example, um, and I know Ross, the other partner involved, um, doesn't live in, uh, you know, close by, so he'll be, he'll be travelling a little bit to get there. Um, is it going to be, like, is it, you know, month about, week about, day about? How do you, how do you best manage that? Look, the, the truth of the matter is in this syndicate, we haven't sorted that out other than to say between ourselves, um, Ross is still working. He doesn't see himself using the boat so heavily in the first year, particularly. After that, he can see himself doing some long distance cruising. I'm the reverse. I've done my passage making. I enjoy racing around the boys and I can see the boat in the first 12 months anyway, <clears throat> being used on pit water, once a week, Monday nights, perhaps Saturdays, racing uh, inshore. Um, I haven't raced off here for a long time, but so I don't know how I'd go with that. So it, it's very flexible, which is not a firm answer to your question, Brent, but it's it's how syndicates generally evolve. Things, mm. things are not tight, as it were. And I guess that's the, the beauty of having a small, smaller group um, of only three people, it does, you know, because that essentially gives you, you know, a third of the year, yeah. which given I think the average use on a boat is about three weeks a year for most private boats, it's a huge amount of time that you've got up your sleeve to use it. And uh, so the boats that I've had experience with syndicating, uh, like you mentioned, do get used a lot more, which is, which I think is a good thing. I mean, you know, if they're cruising around the Pacific, they're certainly probably going to get a lot more maintenance. But at the same time, um, you know, the boats we see even in our Sydney Marina, you know, they're going out, you know, most weeks and um, and they're being well maintained and, you know, they're not sitting there rotting on the end of a mooring and uh, giving someone the guilt trips uh, every time they come and have a look at the boat and see all the, the jobs they've got to do on it. Um, but certainly... Uh, you know, we've, I think 
we've syndicated nearly 20 boats over the years um, and we've gone up to eight people on a syndicate and that was really heavy on the admin side to manage that and you needed a lot of planning in place to lock up you know time allocations and so on then we went to six and that's much more manageable but still a lot of planning required but certainly once you get down to that sort of magic three number um it's pretty much like having your own boat with a couple of mates and uh exactly right exactly right you know um as i said before two is the best number and if you know the bloke well beforehand it just flows um three is a terrific number as well and i'm must say i'm really happy um to have been introduced to Ross by you, Brent. Mm. Um, and let's hope that um, a third guy will put his hand up, or person will put his hand up yeah. before too long. So um, time allocations aside, so we'll, we'll put that down as uh, smaller the group, more flexibility, bigger the group, uh, more, more rigid planning required. Yeah. And, uh, and we do have templates and, and formats for that on sort of week about or month about rosters, if anyone's interested in um, in diving into that a little bit deeper uh, offline. Um, but um, what about things like the maintenance um, or, uh, well, firstly, maintenance, I guess, scheduled maintenance, but then secondly, you know, uh, unexpected breakages. How does a syndicate handle that when you've got more than one person managing the well? In, in every case, in every case, bar one, and I'll talk about that, um, the syndicate as a whole has accepted the cost of breakages whilst the boat's been under the command of one of the syndicate members. And so um, the thing gets fixed and it must get fixed quickly because uh, the boat gets handed on to the next syndicate member the next week or whenever it is and it must be fixed for that allotted time. Um, the exception where the syndicate member insisted on accepting the cost of the repair uh, himself was when the syndicate member, with the permission of the other syndicate members, allowed his 25-year-old son and a couple of their friends, his friends, out on a Sunday afternoon He'd been sailing on the boat a lot uh, under me or his father, and he went the wrong side of a lateral mark. And uh, this is in a Bavaria 38, and hit the rocks, pushed this keel, rotated the keel upwards into the saloon, didn't sink it, uh, but the, the repair was about $30,000. And that was a classic case of just negligence mm. um, and and the son is a good friend of mine and i would like to have him still sail with me but he uh, he he's got a he's learned a lot more about lateral and cardinal marks since then but basically well, and, and, basically and, the syndicate as a whole picks up all all the wear and tear costs wear and tear costs yeah yeah but if it's something like you said you know that's a, a, a silly breakage uh, or, or, or damage caused by essentially negligence. Uh, generally, that falls back to the, 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 the person in charge. 
Yes, generally, that's right. Yeah. And I think um, what you're highlighting here is the reality of boating. <laughs> yes. The reality of cruising boats, uh, reality of race boats. Um, breakages happen, damage happens, it's reality. And I guess in, in a, the importance of uh, what you're saying here is that as a group, as a syndicate, those expenses, rather than being the sole ownership or sole uh, financial responsibility of one owner, is shared amongst a group. You know, as does the the cost of the boat. So it's, it, you know, I can see you know people at home getting nervous, going, "Oh, there's all these things that break because uh, it's a syndicate." Well, no, boats break regardless, and as a group, you can share that, those costs. That introduces something else, Brent, which is the best way to learn how not to break something and how to do the best and relax is to get out on the water, get out there and and sail it and learn how to reef and learn the signs when you should reef, learn what navigation's all about, um, learn to read your chart plotter, et cetera, et cetera, just be on the water. So I really encourage uh, syndicate, my, my fellow syndicate members to use the boat. Mm. That mm. could only be good for the boat, could only be good for them. And it leads to a much more comfortable and relaxed time on board for their wives as well, which is a big feature actually. Mm. There's nothing worse than having a wife who gets nervous or even scared whilst out on her husband's boat. Yeah, yeah. And I guess um, there's an element there of uh, sailing together occasionally if sure. someone is inexperienced or a bit uncomfortable at first, um, you know, jumping on a boat with someone like yourself or. Uh, or other more experienced people in the in their group. I mean, that's that's usually welcomed from the ones that I've uh, certainly been involved in, and and you learn together, um, or at least learn from you know more experienced members. Is, uh... The the nuts and bolts of the costs, though, and I didn't get to this before, but with with three or more, you really need a bit of a committee um, with people allocated responsibilities. Um, a chairman, a secretary and a treasurer and a booking secretary at least. Often those jobs are doubled up. But someone who is recognised by every member of the syndicate as being the person to go to in a certain situation and the person who is expected to produce whatever's required, whether it be repaying the syndicate member for the cost of the repair. On, on that, if you do have, a, say, a broken halyard, you don't want to go to the top of the mast yourself, you get a rigger to do it. The syndicate member pays the rigger there and then and sends the bill to, in our case, sends the bill to the treasurer who reimburses the syndicate member. The treasurer, in my experience, um, should not be expected, or rather the tradie should not have to wait for the treasurer to get the bill to be paid. The, the rigor should be done straight away. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's something significant, which might be. Uh, oh, and that, you know, obviously that'll lead to uh, a certain amount of discussion. Mm, mm, no doubt, no doubt. But it's that's a really interesting point, though. So uh, the chairman sort of oversees things. Uh, the, the secretary uh, and treasurer, um, 
and then and then a booking manager you mentioned. So yep. they help coordinate when people want to be uh, allocating some of their time yep. on the boat and uh, making sure uh, there's a calendar, no doubt. Yep. Uh, probably an online Google calendar of that, something of that nature that people can share and see um, the time allocations and when they might be able to jump on the boat. Now, obviously, the, the more numbers involved, um, the more regimented that becomes again. And, you know, we've got a system in place where, you know, up to six people, we have a, you know, essentially a, a calculator that works out time allocations per person. But uh, for, for a three-way, again, it's pretty, um, pretty straightforward um, and, and a lot more flexibility with getting on the boat, no doubt. Yeah, and um, we, uh, we've actually previously negotiated um, insurance policies uh, where the one party of a syndicate is negligent, um, then uh, the, you know, and severely negligent in terms of riding the boat off, um, that uh, it doesn't necessarily impact the other owners in the group um, because, oh, you know, yeah. you know, if it's, if it's gross, you know, negligence such as, you know, they get, they get intoxicated and, and run the boat and writes it off and means that the insurance is null and void. Um, yeah. Well, the policies that we've had in place will still pay out the other owners yeah. um, because they haven't been, you know, negligent or, or gross negligent. Um, Good point. So, so there are those options available, which is something we usually have uh, taken up on the on the syndicates we put in place too, which I think is just worth worth mentioning on there. Um, the uh, the yearly maintenance. I mean, that's just something that's scheduled like any other boat. You know, you're slipping and any fouling and some time put aside. Yeah, and typically getting ready ready for the next season. Yep. Um, yeah, sure. Cats are a little bit different in that they're not quite so easy to slip in the sense that you've got to search around somewhere to slip them. But um, yeah, regular anti-foul um, engine service. Incidentally, the engine servicing, particularly for inboards, is really short. The, the time frame for it is 150 hours in the case of Yanmar's. And that is so short. So you've really got to watch that, changing the oil. Um, the 1190 will have outboards. And I think the servicing interval is a lot longer for, for the outboards, particularly as we're having freshwater flush systems installed to yeah. drain freshwater through the motor from the road zone supply. Yeah. And just, just on... Um you know, I guess regular maintenance, um, well, common question that always comes up is uh, uh, cleaning the boat and transitioning from one owner to the next. Um, so how do you approach that in, or how, how do you see that happening in the upcoming one? Well, in the, in the perfect world, um, when you step out of the boat at the beginning of your usage allocated time, it's pristine, ready to be sold, as it were, clean as a whistle. But of course, that doesn't happen because the previous guys perhaps um, forgot a wet, a storm, a storm bit of uh, wet weather gear in a locker, or uh, um, there's, there's, it's never absolutely perfect, 
and I don't think it's reasonable to expect it to be perfect. I have been in a syndicate where one bloke had a fetish about being clean and um, woe betide anybody who didn't leave the boat to his standard uh, as he uh, when he was getting on. So I think you can't really expect anything more than to have the boat left for you in a standard that you would um, leave for other people. You know, mm. do unto others what you expect them to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a reasonable way of approaching it. Um, Some one person I know got quite uptight about fuel, for example, fuel consumption. Now it depends on how the boat's being used, but if if you're racing, you don't use enough fuel, and it's a waste of time going into the fuel dock at the end of each race to top up with 15 litres of fuel. Much better to keep a, a tab on it and, not sorry, not a tab, keep an eye on it and um, when it's a third full, you take it in and you fill it and you put your fuel slip in to the treasurer for the whole syndicate. Right, yeah. so that's a, that's a syndicate shared cost yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, it's too difficult, I think, to try and make fuel costs. And similarly with gas, I suspect if you replace a gas bottle and so on. Just a sentence. Yeah, yeah, no, that's reasonable. Um, just a point on the cleaning again, you know, as the as the groups grow bigger, uh, that becomes more complicated. And, and we have had um, uh, detailers uh, set up on boats where they, they give it the, the once over before it moves to the next group to ensure, a, I guess, a, a certain standard from one, one group to the next. And, um, and again, that's probably more important when it's, you know, a group of six where the boat's going out all the time and, you know, you've got lots of different parties involved. But three people, again, a lot more uh, manageable and yeah. a lot more relaxed. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Sure. Um, what about, uh, I've had some experience with this, but, um, you know, the, I guess an exit strategy um, when the syndicate comes to a, to a completion, you know, uh, do you see this being wrapped up in five years or um, longer, shorter? The eleven ninety. Yeah. Um, I've I've told Ross uh, that I probably will not be in longer than three years. Right. Now he's younger than I am, and he's I'm sure looking at longer periods, five years, something like that. Mm. The the three year is is not definite. We don't know yet. I, I would like to stay as long as I feel I can sail the boat. Um, but, you know, I'm going to be 80 shortly. And uh, it's, it's some of the joints are aching a bit at the moment. So far as getting in and out of the boat, is going, the syndicate is concerned, I should have mentioned it before. The, the way most of the syndicates I've been conceived or conceived is that a boat comes along and a syndicate is formed around the boat. So the boat comes first, the syndicate is formed, it, it should have an agreement. It can be sketchy or it can be a 10 page legal document. Um, it seems to me that complexity does not necessarily mean um, it's easier to abide by. 
or it's more certain. The, the most important thing is respect for your co-syndicate owners and to have them do to you what you would do to them. Um, once you've got a partnership agreement together, then you've got a syndicate who can buy the boat. So usually in my experience, the syndicate comes first and then with the boat in mind. And the two are only perhaps a, a month apart. The, the partnership agreement will have provisions in it as to the mechanism for getting out. And usually it provides that once a syndicate member decides that he wishes to leave the syndicate for whatever reason, he advises his co-syndicate members who are given a reasonable period of time uh, up to say 60 or 90 days to buy him out. Um, if that does not happen, then usually the agreement provides that the syndicate as a whole can advertise the boat as a whole for sale. If it doesn't sell then, then the syndicate as a whole goes through a broker to sell it for him. And um, my experience is that it's easiest, in fact, to go to the broker straight away because the broker knows what the value of the thing is and has the contacts of potential buyers. Yeah, and we've, we've seen quite a few individual shares uh, sell over the years. And um, we had syndicates that started with, you know, a, a five-year plan and they're still running 10 years on, you know, and, and they... Uh, have various members come and go over the period, but they've, you know, they've got a, a rhythm going, and um, and you know, the vast majority of people that get in there really love the, uh, you know, the setup, and um, a bit of camaraderie between the groups, and um, and we, you know, as a broker, I guess we never have a lot of trouble selling syndicate shares. It's it's quite interesting. I, I think the concept of syndicates have been out there long enough now. That uh, and there's been enough boats put together that people are, are comfortable, you know, in them. But there really is not a lot of supply in the market for syndicate shares. So when they come up, they tend to sell right uh, pretty quickly yeah. and and for a pretty good price. Um, I mean, they depreciate, I guess, similar to a, a normal boat depreciates, but. Yeah. We, we don't see them lingering around and, uh, you know, any sort of fire sales or, you know, real difficulty selling them because obviously, you know, it allows you to get into a boat, you know, in this case at a third of the price, but in some cases even less. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> we've, um, we've had a, quite a few syndicate shares sell over the years and, and whole syndicate boats sell too as a, as a group whole we have. We had As I said before, the benefit of syndication is that it enables you to get into a bigger, faster, more luxurious boat um, quicker, earlier than you otherwise would. Mm. And it, it's, I'm, I'm absolutely told, which, which is pretty clear, on the benefits of syndication. Uh, I'm just quickly looking at some notes here, Brent, as to what else I thought you might be interested in. You know, for example, um, the, the lengthy time off that we got uh, allocated to us in the 45 meant that 
I would come back to my practice absolutely rejuvenated, ready to go again. And uh, it, it, having that time away forced a slowdown in the hectic pace of Sydney life mm. is just so good for your own health and for your relationship with your wife, usually. And, uh, and if, you can, if you've got children who can come as well, well, that's fantastic because the kids get a huge benefit from cruising. You know, they learn self-reliance. They learn how to read the weather. They even dabble in navigation or using the radio for communications. Mm. And uh, they make friends because a lot of the other boats have children on them as well. Mm. Mm. And I, I think you've just touched on two really, really important points about why we are all doing this in the first place and why I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, what you've just mentioned there is a mini sabbatical. It's getting out, escaping from the rat race, getting a little bit of freedom and uh, smelling the roses, slowing down, uh, living a little and coming back rejuvenated. And, uh, and that is the essence of what we talk about is this concept of a sabbatical, you know, a sabbatical is, is to just get out and freshen up and, uh, and live life a little. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I think probably more, it's probably more important than ever, given, you know, the grind that we're all going through uh, largely at the moment. Um, you know, being on a boat, it's one of those few things you can do um, without being too nervous and, um, and enjoying, uh, you know, nature out there. So I think that's a, a really important point. And picking up on the kids thing, I mean, spot on again, I think a syndicate allows, um, you know, uh, I guess, people my age with young kids to, to actually have a chance of getting into a, into a decent boat. And my, my kids are, you know, I've got two girls, eight and five, and they love getting on um, our, our little sea wind and, and going cruising up to pit water. It's just an absolute highlight. It beats any uh, commercial holiday you can, you can jump in on a resort. Yeah. Syndication, apart from sharing costs, of course, you get a sharing of knowledge. You get the best sailor I know, he taught me so much um, because I sailed with him as his crew mm. for a long time. And new, new people come into a syndicate, they may not be so experienced. The other syndicate members should invite them out with them and pass on that um, experience and, and knowledge. It's important within a syndicate that there be a chemistry between the syndicate members. That may not happen straight away. Uh, and indeed, it's not like a, a rowing crew, for example, where every member must be expected to pull his weight from the word go. A sailing syndicate is, is different. It is um, usually a mix of people with different experiences, but being in a syndicate and sailing together there's a, there's a dissemination of knowledge, how to, how to pull a cat off a dock with the wind coming onto the dock, for example. You know, there's a way to do it and there's a way to stuff it up. Um, so that's a really big plus about syndication. You don't need to know everybody um, before you start. It's preferable, but the ability to sail together as a crew 
is really worthwhile, um, particularly if you do a little bit of, say, inshore racing around the boys. The, everybody understands what the boat can do, what happens if you stuff it up. And uh, it develops a camaraderie within not only the, the guys involved as a crew, but because they're a syndicate, um, it's, it's a very, fairly deep situation. It's been suggested to me once or twice that instead of taking up a full share of a syndicate, um, someone sell just half a share. I don't like that because if you say you've got three shares and the third share, um, there's a suggestion it be split into two, that means four people are shareholders. And what I've found is that each one of the four regards themselves as, as uh, with a strong voice, even though they don't have the same level of equity as the first two shareholders. So I, I don't like that. Just while, uh, while we go through those points, I'll just mention to anyone, because uh, we'll go to Q&A shortly. Um, and for those watching, uh, both in, in Zoom here and online, uh, if there's any questions you've got for Hugh or myself about syndication, feel free to ask them. And uh, we'll go on shortly about the, specifically about the 1190 syndicate. This is, this is not a selling job, but so I thought I'd bring up a couple of disadvantages of uh, syndications. One, the first is that you're encouraged to fit in with others perhaps contrary to what you think should happen. And if you are fairly firm about what you do think should happen, you've got to put a bit of time to carefully make your point uh, if there's a divergence of opinion. The second disadvantage is that the boat may not be where you want it to be when you get the urge to go for a sail on a Saturday afternoon. Now, I couldn't think of any other disadvantages. And I would have to say that Neither of the two disadvantages I mentioned is a deal breaker. The advantages so far outweigh the disadvantages that goes without saying. And perhaps um, the essence of a successful syndicate is, is just keep thinking of your partners to communicate with them and how I would, how I would like to be treated by them. Um, Money is often important. Don't be slow in paying calls from the treasurer in needing funds for whatever reason. Um, be easy to get on with. My wife tells me that I'm not easy to get on with sometimes, but she's blast. Anyway, um, look, that's about the end of my notes here. Uh, listen, that, that's, that's really great, Hugh, a really honest, um, you know, candid insight into... Uh, in, into syndication with obviously plenty of experience with you there. Um, I'm going to go to some, some Q&A, but before we do, I'm just going to bring up, uh, I guess, highlight the, the sport that we're pulling together, the 1190 sport. And while we talk about that, I'm just going to put a little video up here so people can see, um, you know, what, what it's going to look like. This is just a, a video that we uh, we shot at last year's uh, Sea Winds Pitwater Regatta. In fact, Hugh, I think you were actually on this boat with me. Um, Here I was. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're racing there in all sorts of uh, interesting conditions. Uh, we had plenty of breeze on. It was, was a great a great week um, up there. But um, so the eleven ninety Sport. It's a, it's the carbon. It's sorry. It's the uh, 
the daggerboard version, an extended version of the 1160 light. So it's got a, a there it is, big uh, tall rig, carbon sails, and uh, uh, a bit more performance oomph to it uh, all around. Um, at the front at, too. At the front too, exactly. But but still quite practical and easy to sail uh, once you know the ropes. Um, so that boat will be uh, based at Pitwater as its home base, Hugh. Um, but I think there's still some plans to head up north um maybe and do a, a hamilton island race week or something uh yep in the next season or two yes certainly and this is a three-way partnership uh and yourself and ross have got two shares uh i own the final share for the time being but welcome to uh pass that on to an incoming uh buyer and really the the point of doing that is to get the boat ordered, which it's uh, well and truly underway during its construction at the moment. And we'll see that here in Sydney uh, in a few months time, which is uh, very exciting. So be here ready for the season coming up. And, um, and we still have that one third share available at present. So if you want to learn more specifically about that boat, um, uh, send me an email or get in touch with us uh, and we can we can give you all the the, uh, the details on the boat and put you in touch with you uh, if uh, if you're really interested so um, all right so I'm going to go to some Q&A here um, so uh, we've got a question here from Peter uh, can you indicate where the syndicate's typically located and yeah as we mentioned this 1190 Sport will be located on Pitwater, just north of Sydney. Uh, other syndicates that we've got out in uh, operation, uh, Sydney Harbour, Brisbane, Gold Coast, uh, Whitsundays. There is a bit of interest already in a 1370 syndicate. Um, I've got two one-third partners pretty close to going on a new boat. However, it won't be around for a few years to come yet. Um, they sold 33 boats in the last uh, two weeks, which is extraordinary, um, but they are expecting uh, production to be increased substantially. Um, and, uh, and we've got some production slots still held for earlier slots. So. If that's of interest, let us know. But that will probably be up in Queensland, if it, um, or it'll be a, a roving syndicate, maybe up and down the coast, and out to the Pacific Islands. So that's very much a cruising syndicate, and probably three-way partnership on that boat. So, if that's of interest, also get in touch. Um, another question here from Peter: uh, Can you explain where the depreciation is factored into the purchase price or running costs? Um, so I guess depreciation is probably in line with the normal decline in value on any boat. Um, so we essentially divide up the cost of what the boat would be worth if it was being sold as a whole, and we work out a, an individual cost um, per share. So it does does pretty it track pretty closely. Um, there I am. I'm not sure why I'm looking at myself, but. Uh, Get rid of that now. <laughs> That's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, 
they are generally, uh, yeah, quite close to the the normal decline in value of the uh, of the boat's costs and um, and running costs on this boat will actually be quite affordable, I think, Hugh, because you're planning to leave this one on a swing mooring that's uh, going to be serviced by the um, well, at least have a, a tender service to it from the Royal Motor Yacht Club. Is that right? Yes, that's that's right, Brent. Um, I have a private mooring in Pitwater at Bayview and uh, the Royal Motor Yacht Club has a tender service that will get you out to the boat and back at any time on any day pretty well. Yeah, excellent. Okay, um, got a question here from Jeremy. He's also involved in another syndicate. He's curious as to how it's structured in terms of a partnership or company or um, uh, I think the intention is a uh, just a syndicate agreement between members. Hugh, is that the way? Yes, the agreement's already in place um, to, to form, uh, actually, technically, we try and say we're not a partnership um, for legal reasons, but the syndicate operates as a whole with any of our suppliers or debtors. Um, Fairly standard arrangement. Yeah, yeah, excellent. We got a, a Hugh, uh, hello from Bruce Hodg Hodgkinson. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a relative, or uh... oh yes, yeah, <laughs> um, So unless there's any other questions, um, we will uh, we'll probably wrap it up there. Um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm quietly. Um, excited about this boat showing up one way or the other and uh and, and I, I do hope someone takes it off my hands but at the same time uh, i wouldn't mind having a one-third share on a 1190 sport on pit water myself <laughs> it's uh such a great boat for what you're planning to do up there hugh for a bit of social racing a bit of cruising and send it up the Queensland coast and, uh, and do the race weeks. I think it'd be such a great, well, uh, great package. We don't want to lose you, Brent. And <laughs> if we're going to win the next race, we need you on board for your techniques and expertise. Oh, I don't know about that. I think I think you've got plenty of expertise there. You know, Show me a thing or two. But um, it's, uh, yeah, a great, great boat for that part of the world. And I think you really take full advantage of its performance aspects with the racing community up there we really don't have uh well we've, we've got a growing fleet down south but they've, they've got a really good fleet of uh, multi-holes racing regularly i think on saturdays and uh and monday twilights isn't it um That's it. Yeah. yeah yeah so certainly anyone who lives you know on the northern beaches I and mean, this is i've got to stress this is actually really difficult to get syndicates together because it's a little bit like herding cats and we were fortunate Hugh and Ross came together at a similar time and we just made it happen. Uh, and I think it'll be a great group to be part of. And, um, and, and, and we probably won't see another syndicate realistically on the water for, uh, for some time to come, um, just because they're a little bit tricky to put together. So if it sounds of interest to you and uh, you want to take advantage of it, uh, don't, uh, don't muck around. It'll be here soon and um, it'll be uh, a great experience. Um, Hugh, before we leave, um, you know, when this whole corona thing, well, hopefully when you get the boat, 
what's uh, any any more plans on the bucket list? Maybe a trip up the up to Hamilton Island. Sounds like it's on the cards. Um, one thing at a time, I think. Let's get the boat first. Use it on pit water this summer. Um, Ross is going to come up, I think, a lot over summer, and um, then uh, we'll play it by year. Yeah, fantastic. So um, we'll leave it there, Q. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll see you on the water soon. Thank you for having me. To watch the live replay video of this interview, simply visit our website at multihealthcentral.com forward slash cbatical-summit-live or visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash multihealthcentral1 or refer to the show notes on this podcast below.